todo el mundo. Pero eso fue realmente... Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is Josh Mallerman, the author of Bird Box, Mallory, and many others, including one of my favorites, Unbury Carol. He's also in the long-running rock band, The High Strung, whose song, The Luck You Got, can be heard as the opening theme to the Showtime show, Shameless. He's even been the subject of a documentary film, Quilt of Delirium. Josh is also a film producer, so we're going to dive into all that and more. Well, welcome to the show, Josh. Hello. This is exciting because I follow a lot of what you're doing online and see a lot of your amazing pictures and posts, and and now I get to actually meet you and, and get to know you like this. This is awesome. I love it, too. Yes, I have been a fan of your writing for a while. Um, and of course, Bird Box was your debut novel, which brought you into the spotlight and gained widespread acclaim um, and was the film, too, of course, on Netflix. Um, can you share the inspiration behind that story and how of seeing your work adapted for the screen impacted your perspective as a writer? I'm thinking for the next one. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had, by the time Bird Box got picked up, um, by HarperCollins, I was already working with a manager. And the whole time this manager was saying to me, you know, if we get a book deal, if I'm going to sell the movie rights to this immediately. And, and I had no real reason to believe him, I guess. He had never done it before. He, I mean, the first novelist he ever worked with. Oh, wow. We're the same age. Now we've been together for like 15 years, but at the time we were brand new to each other. But there was something about Ryan Lewis that was just the he's the kind of guy that you just trusted in all the right ways. Intelligent, warm, uh, measured the strategy, but without without losing your spirit. And lo and behold, the book deal we get from HarperCollins and Ryan got the movie deal maybe two months later or something. Oh, wow. And it was a wild moment for me where I was like, holy cow, Ryan really pulled this off, you know? And since then... Ryan and I have started a production company. 
I wouldn't say that it changes, has changed um, how I feel like sitting down to write a novel. I'm not saying to myself, like, is this sellable? Is this cinematic? Is okay. this? I had written some 14 novels before Bird Box gets picked up, right? And I was already, so a style, a love for doing it, that was already all in like place. And I can't imagine anything, even the success of the movie, I can't imagine changing the approach, which is being thrilled by an idea and sitting down and fleshing it out. And in the case of Bird Box, all I really started with, I swear to God, was just a, a, a woman and two children um, blindfolded navigating a river. And I didn't know why yet. I just liked the image. And I sat down and on day two or three, I'm like, hold on, what, what, are, they, what are they fleeing from? And so then I started to work it out from there. But that one started with just a snapshot in my head. So you can imagine how I felt when I saw the movie. And here I see Sandra Bullock and two kids blindfolded in a, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is like, this is how the whole book started from this image. And, and here we are. Wow. Yeah, that is like magic to see how your words are interpreted by filmmakers and actors to see it on the screen. Wow. Uh, and I know that your next cinematic project is a Ben Evans film based on your short story. Um, it's such a kind of a creepy premise. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering <laughs> what your great. parents thought of that. And uh, maybe you could tell people what it's about. Sure. Um, a Ben Evans film is a short story about a fella who is going to make his movie at all costs. And that means using everything around you and his parents just passed away. And so he digs up their bodies and uses them as the main characters, the star in his movie. Um, that sounds to someone that might sound insane to another person that might even sound funny. The actor attached Sky Alabar is so perfect for this role. We, so there was a short made about a 12 minute short. It could not be more perfect how he straddles the line of this guy's really unsettling and, or maybe this guy's a little bit funny and, and you really don't know. And he straddles that line. So if the director, James Hall and Brett Hall, if they can maintain that mood for the entirety of the of the movie, I think they have something like extraordinary on their hands. It can sometimes be difficult, though, to stretch out a short story or a short film into something feature length. And um, oftentimes that doesn't always translate. So are you going to be working on the full feature length screenplay or are you no. just so to be honest with you? For the most part, that's what I like to do. As you know, I'm in a band. There's me and Mark Owen write the songs together. We we don't tell the boys what to play. So I'm very used to writing the song, giving it to someone else, and, and they make their music to it. That's how I felt when Sandra Bullock and, 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 and the, everyone involved. When they made Bird Box, there was a sense of, this is the music they're making of a song I wrote. Same thing with Ben Evans. James and Brett wrote the script. I love it. I really love it. And I never would have thought of like half the things they did. And to me, it's like, this is, they're playing the song. I wrote the song, but they're playing it. Yeah, well, quite often I know like there's been how many countless Stephen King adaptations from his short stories that were written by other screenwriters and been quite successful. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that is something that is applicable to you as well. And I know that you love horror movies. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what some of your favorite horror movies are and which ones may have influenced you the most as a writer? 
Well, I think the easiest answer for that uh, is the very first one I saw was Twilight Zone, the movie. And the reason this had such an effect on me, aside from how brilliant the monster on the airplane and, and Anthony that can do anything with his mind, if you remember, in the house. Oh, yeah. What really happened for me there, though, was my first experience with horror was anthology was five segments that had nothing to do with each other, but they were all horror in different ways. So right away, my introduction to the genre said, hey, Josh, there's a million ways you can do this. And I and I think, you know, I think back on that movie. I watched it recently. Well, um, some friends were over and we we got drunk and we watched it. And it was it was incredible. And the whole time I was thinking, oh, man, right. Like the first segment is way heavier than the second. And the third is way more imaginative than the first two. And the fourth is the scariest. And I like to think that my books sort of reflect that elasticity. That one, you know, Unburied Carol really isn't anything like Bird Box, isn't anything like Goblin, isn't anything like uh, Ghoul in the Cape. And so unquestionably, the, from the word go, it was if I was going to introduce a young person to horror, I might start with anthology movies for that reason. It's been a black yarn that has you've got good news. Can you share that with us? Yeah, Spin of Black Yarns on the preliminary Stoker ballot. Yeah, it's a collection of novellas. And I think typically a collection of novellas from an author means that maybe they've written them over a, a wide period of time. And The Jupiter Drop was written early, but for the most part, Spin of Black Yarn, they were all written like in a row, which is which is odd. And again, this goes back to that Twilight Zone movie anthology thing. The novellas are nothing like each other. It's not some, uh, well, there is kind of a unifying. It's a, It all takes place in a similar town or area, but nothing else really unifies them. And think of like the, as a writer, think of like the playground you have there, right? You're entering a, a novel size work saying, oh, I can, I, I, here, I can get uh, five, six different ideas out here. Like, you know, maybe, maybe they could be novels on their own. I don't know, but they, for sure could be novellas. And so it's there's something very liberating. There was something super liberating to me about entering that project consciously saying, I'm going to write five or four novellas in a row rather than gathering up some, like, some stuff I had written over the years or something. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. That's exciting and good luck. Yeah. The Bram Stoker Award is kind of like the uh, Academy Award for horror authors, <laughs> for those who don't know. So fantastic. Um, now, I'm wondering, how do you choose which novel you write next? Because I imagine like most writers, uh, myself included, you've got a thousand ideas bouncing around in there. Um, so what influences you? I mean, are you driven by your publisher or, you know, like what your fans want or just something that drives you to say, hey, I really want to write this right now. You know, I, at some point early on, and this is true of the songs as well, I started to see everything less as individual novels and more as the body of work, the canon, right? And I would watch like every movie I could by Hitchcock, right? And and I didn't, I don't know if I went in a row, but I watched like every night I'd watch another one and I would pick a different director and watch every movie they made. And and so for me, it starts to become like, okay, where are you at in the canon? Where are you at? Like, are we at a spot where like before Daphne, I felt this feeling of like, hey, you've gone sort of wild for a minute here. Let's let's throw a fastball horror down the middle. Let's let's just is, is if imagine it all is one painting 
And and I was like, oh, we need just like a like a stroke of red across it all. And so Daphne, okay. Mm-hmm. And then yarn is more expansive. And then incidents around the house is more expansive yet. And it's so it's like it's more like that for me. It's more like what feels right in terms of here's your body of work and what what color is missing or what color do you want to enhance in this body of work and that's typically how i decide but there are times where like you said you have a thousand ideas and i've presented to the publisher here's all eight or nine ideas and then they have said well we like that one sounds good and i'm like all right let's do it so i write that one Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that helps narrow it down. Now, you did mention yeah. uh, Incidents Around the House, which I have to say is a super intriguing title. And that is your next book, which is not out yet, um, available in June of 2024. So what's it about? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you how where I got the idea from, and that'll tell you what it's about pretty much. My brother, this is 13 years ago, my brother and his wife were putting their kid to sleep for the night, putting him to bed for the night. And I just want to make sure I have this right. So the, so Elliot says goodnight. Then Ryan and Alyssa say goodnight. And then Elliot says goodnight again. And Alyssa says, Elliot, you already said goodnight. And Elliot said, well, I'm saying goodnight to other mommy. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wait, what? Ryan told me that story. And Stacey, I was like, I was like, wait, what did you, you had a hotel, right? Like you didn't stay in the house, right? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, it's like kids say weird stuff, man. And I was like, no, you did not stay in the house. So for like 13 years now, no joke, I would be like talking to my brother on the phone and be like, I'm saying goodnight to other mommy, you know? And I was saying to Ryan, like, man, that is whatever that is. There's a book in there, man. And I even, you can't see it, but the outline for that book is written on the office wall beyond the computer right here. I just came home one night and I was like, wrote like the whole outline for that book and and did it. And the book's even dedicated to Elliot and his uh, brother Finnegan. And so we all started, it all starts, the book even opens that way. I'm saying goodnight to other mommy. And I feel like that's telling you enough of what the book's about to, to, to do it justice. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Like a story that stuck with you for all those years. It just had to come out. Yeah, have you ever had something like that where it's like an it's not necessarily the premise, but it was like even maybe an image or a thought where you're like, I've always wanted to do, I don't know exactly what it is, but I want to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm usually I have so many ideas that I have to write them down. And sometimes I'll go back and look at it and have no idea what the hell I was writing about. Or like yourself, <laughs> there's something that just sticks with you, whether you've written it down or not. And so it's like a a little ghost that's demanding to be seen and heard. So I'm excited about that book yeah. for sure. Um, now I'm wondering, if this is a kind of a, a prickly question, I guess, for authors, but do you read your book reviews or did you ever? I mean, I imagine when you're first starting out, you do. But what do you think of of reviews by by readers who are not really necessarily trained critics? Um. I love that there is, what's the right phrase? The space for it all, that there's that um, that it's not just uh, two or three voices that tell you what's right or wrong. I love that everyone has their voice, but I'm also protective of, I don't want to like go looking through everything and then be like, oh man, oh God, that one guy said, that girl hates me, you know? So I really haven't, if I'm like tagged in a review, like on Instagram or something, I mean, it's impossible not to go look at it a little, you know? 
And if there's a review, uh, you know, in Bloody Disgusting or Rue Morgue or whatever, I mean, I, yeah, I read it. But in a general sense, I haven't read a review since, let me get this right, like 2018. Okay. And that might sound insane. I mean, again, if it's tagged or if, if it's, or I, I've even reposted uh, a library, you know, journal or this or right. that. Like I've posted, I've read some reviews. But I've, I haven't gone like scrolling through like Goodreads or Amazon or something like that since then. Right. And, and just recently, the band got like ripped by this one, this one dude. Oh. And it was interesting because my band got totally ripped. <laughs> and my bandmates were like so upset. And honestly, I, I wasn't. I guess they weren't so upset, but they were like, you know, they were like, this sucks. And to me, I'm like, no, God, man, I'm I'm kind of I'm used to this sense now that there's just going to be a bunch of hopefully good and bad. And there's even something like calming or warm about that. It's like it's just everyone talking and everyone having reactions. It's not a big deal. But it, it was a moment that I noticed where I was like, because my bandmates aren't putting out novels. Right. I'd be awesome if they are. And I hope that Mark does do that one day. But it was like. I, this terrible review comes in and there was a side of me that was like, oh, yeah, no, that's all right. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, right. And so I started, I had a conversation with the boys about how there's just a lot of voices out there. And and when there's when there's a bad one, all right, that's all right. Let it let it be, man. Let it just be bad. I almost feel like there's something romantic about that in a way. Like, you you know, all your favorite bands got ripped by someone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Rolling Stone hated Led Zeppelin. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's all these like great stories. I see people and I don't even know how this is possible, but I see people ripping on the Beatles sometimes like on Twitter or something. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? I'm like, no, no, you know, like so <laughs> with all of that in mind. I think that I am in a good place with all that, like a very good place. But I also think it could be dangerous if I went scrolling through everything. Yeah. And just like the whole thing of everyone seems to want your approval or your opinion on Netflix. Oh, did you like this? You know, and or even if you call customer service, we'll be sending you a survey to see what you thought. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of that episode of Black Mirror where the oh. woman was being reviewed by everyone she encountered that day. Yeah, um, like where like even like I'd be like, oh, I rate this. Uh, I, I give Stacey a five like that. Uh -huh. that yeah, yeah, that was uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. That's the first Black Mirror that I saw. And it scared me because yeah. I was like, holy shit, this is like this is like the world right now like you're right um the pedestrian crossed the street okay i'm gonna give that crossing a five the light <laughs> exactly. is on time i'm gonna give the light at maine and state in maine i'm gonna give it a five you know and like yeah it does sometimes feel that way at the same time and i know you i, I imagine you feel the same way it's nice that everyone has the space to say and to speak their mind and to say how they feel and whatever i think the key is just to to, to, to sort of like joyfully continue doing what you're doing not get mired in not get too mired or too influenced by like if a lot of people didn't like a short story of yours or a book of yours okay all right that's that book you still love it and you wrote it for don't let don't let that change your opinion of it don't let that change your opinion of yourself for sure and just keep writing joyfully like you are and i think that's maybe maybe the healthiest way we can go through all that
I agree with you. Um, now, you mentioned music a couple of times. We both love music and writing. And I know that different authors have different sort of processes. Do you like to listen to music while you're writing fiction? Yeah, um, I have over here, one, two, three, three shelves of all horror vinyl soundtracks. I, I wish that you were standing in this room. I would be like, check this out, check this out, check this out. And behind me is a record player. Oh, wow. Yeah, I see. Allison, my fiance, Allison, was just talking that she wants to put that thing next to me so it's not behind me. Anyway, um, but so grab a, you know, I'm looking right now at Scream. I actually see Bird Box, John Carpenter's Lost Themes, all the Halloweens, Goosebumps, uh, Goblin, uh, all of M. Night's movies, all on vinyl. Because for, I used to try like rock and roll and it was like, it was hard. It was hard to write. Like when I was writing novels in the passenger seat of the uh, the band van and the boys are listening to like the Grateful Dead. I mean, man, it was hard to write a scary scene while Jerry Garcia is playing guitar, you know? I mean, it was like, <laughs> it wasn't easy, you know? <laughs> like, But then at the same time, you could say, if you pull that off, you can pull anything off. But I think the lyrics can be distracting too. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. But I wrote a nonfiction book recently and I did have just straight up rock and roll playing. And it was, I had the Stones playing most of the time. And it was awesome. It was totally awesome to put on like Beggar's Banquet and work on a book rather than, you know, the soundtrack for, you know, Sleepy Hollow, which I love. I will say one more thing about this. Incidents around the house. Um, I must have listened to something during the rough draft, but during the rewrite, something struck me where I was like, hey, why don't you try one book with no music? Why don't you just try it and just have the sign write it at night and have just the silence of the house to write to. And it was, it was intense. It was like dark and quiet in here. And we have cats. Oh, okay. So like you'd yeah. hear like creaking out there and movement out there. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely the way. Short answer, yes. But uh, different music for different scenarios. Ah, so what's the nonfiction book that you wrote? It's 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 just details one amazing night that Allison and I had about 12 years ago where we were new to each other, brand new to each other. And I met Allison and then a few months later I got a book deal for Bird Box. So imagine falling in love. I was totally broke, falling in love. And then career, like then all of a sudden your career is starting all at the same time after being single and broke for years. And so whatever, it just details this one night we had with her cousin and her at the time, uh, her cousin's um, girlfriend. And that's all, that's all it is. It's all one night. And at that, it was a, this unbelievable night where the next morning I said to Allison, dude, I could write a whole book about last night. And 12 years later, I did. Wow. Is it out or I'm, I must know that one. So we know, no, okay. I, I just did the rewrite, uh, geez, a few weeks ago. And my agent is shopping it, you know, like as we, or, or send it to like the editor at Delray. We'll see if they like it. I mean, that that's where we're at. We're in like okay. the earliest stages of seeing Oh, okay. Something more to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked about uh, the high strung a bit. Um, I want to delve into that a little bit more, um, but I want to kind of delve back before um, the band, although I know you guys have known each other since you were kids or at least, uh, you know, a couple of you. So 
who were some of your musical influences who made you think, you know, I want to write songs and sing songs? Yeah, it's it's interesting because really my it was what my friends were playing for me. Mark loved Bob Dylan, still loves Bob Dylan. Derek was more into like rock, the Beatles, the Ramones, the Who. Chad was more into like metal and the Grateful Dead. He was he's he's more into like sort of expansive, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or in different genres. So like it was like they were kind of the ones introducing me. In my own world, I love the doors. Um, Jimi Hendrix, like that kind of stuff, because that's the albums my mom had. The Doors are one of my like all-time favorite bands, and like I feel like they get a bad rap a lot. I know that a lot of people love them, but sometimes they get a bad rap, and I freaking love them. I love Ray Manzarek on the organ; is one of my all-time like favorite rock musicians and some rock sounds, you know. And but I was listening to also like doo-wop and fifties, so I was coming from and the Beach Boys. So for me, there was always this place of like the small song, you know, Mark sort of opened the door like, hey, let's be, let's worry more about the lyrics. Derek opens the door. Let's let's rock. Chad opens the door. Let's let's be more musical. And I think like without them, I'm sort of like the like AED rock and roll. Well, as a little aside, um, I actually got a blurb for my first novel from Ray Manzarek. Did you meet him and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, I know from your oh go on, go on. Oh yeah, he he knew my dad actually. And you know, all, all those musicians kind of yeah. hung out together yeah. in the seventies. But yeah, I, I met him actually at the Los Angeles book fair and I just asked him and he took a copy of the manuscript and said, sure, I'll give it a read. And then he sent me a voicemail with his blurb a few days later. And I saved it for years, but it eventually went away with whatever, you know, phone number I had. But oh, it's really yeah, cool to yeah. have that. Yeah. He, so you love them too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. was a fan of The Doors growing up and um, I have so many books. In fact, I just ordered another one, um, like a used one on eBay called um, Love Him Madly. You know, my relationship with Jim Morrison by Jim <laughs> Edelston and <laughs> forward by Pamela DeBar. So yeah, I'm I, still into it. I follow them on Instagram. And so like, they'll have like, like live, like, I don't know, bootleg sort of albums, but on vinyl. Like coming out, I just bought like a, a four album set. Oh, nice. And then yeah. I found like two, I found like two like on eBay or something. Like there was like the doors in Stockholm and I'm like, oh my God, it's on vinyl. I don't even know what this is. But like, it's weird. Like the quality is so weird that I'm like, wait, is this real? Like, well, I know it's them, but I'm like, is this sanctioned? I don't know if this was sanctioned by them or not, man. You never <laughs> I know. know. I mean, it could be AI. You know, now they have like AI. You can sing like uh, Jim Morrison doing Judas Priest or, you know, that's also crazy. <laughs> hey, I love Judas Priest too. I have a ton of their albums right there too. Um, But yeah, Ray, because if you think about it, Ray and Jim together, but Ray especially kind of, it's a combination of what we're talking about, rock and roll and like horror. It's like this like carnival, dark carnival-esque sound. Without being, um, what's the right phrase? Without being like, you know, um, the monster mash. Without being like cheesy. Without being uh, like ham-fisted. It's like, it's like that Baroque, but it's still palatable. Break on Through is a pop hit. And so, whereas the Beatles are like, I know the Beatles have all the uh, depth in the world, but whereas the Beatles can be like more like, more, like popier and shinier, the mm -hmm. doors have that darker sort of the shadowy side. And a lot of that to me is is that organ and the left hand on the bass. 
Right. And the doors, of course, were so heavily influenced by literature, poetry, film. Um, they had such a, a basis and a foundation of different things to inform them as musicians, which kind of leads me into my next question for you, which is that, you know, the high strung's music doesn't really cross over into the horror genre, you know, like say Alice Cooper or Ice Nine Kills or some kind of really theatrical horror band. Um, so how would you describe their sound to someone who maybe hasn't heard you? You know, it, it's an interesting thing because from, from the beginning, um, I, at the very beginning, I didn't see any difference between them, right? Because they were both coming from such like a ecstatic place or something. If you think about it, horror stories and rock songs. I mean, that could be a teenager's bedroom. You know what I mean? Like, what are we talking <laughs> totally. about here, right? Right. So it felt like it was coming from like the same place, but eventually you're like, wow, your songs are way brighter. Way, I don't want to say poppier, but way brighter. Like the books are horror stories. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the enthusiasm behind them or the impetus behind them is coming from a totally the same place. If I was going to describe the highest trying, I'd probably say, Oh, gosh, you know, it's rock and roll. Our favorites, you know, are like the who when they were younger and and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we just put out a new album where I play piano on the whole thing. So I, I don't know, I mean, you know, and there's actually a few Rayman Zarek-esque moments on there. Just anyway, but 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 um, so I don't really know. I after a while, because now we're like 10 albums deep and they're very different from each other. Rock and roll, our influences definitely are like the 60s, 70s heroes that kind of thing i will say this also though it would be like at, at the readings for like the releases of the novels we do like these theatrical things where i'll be playing like scary music on a keyboard while allison narrates or my friend christy narrates and allison has like did like like um made masks of the characters in the book or whatever and there is some grand guinal there is some alice cooper to that and I freaking love doing that. So I do, I could see myself writing a show, like what's that guy's name? Nick Cave would oh, be right. a good yeah. example. Mm -hmm. Sort of like straddles the line a little bit between there. Oh, I yeah. could be doing that for sure. Haven't done that yet in an album form, but I could see, not quite like how we're talking. And I could see doing that though. So, well, for those who haven't heard your music, let's listen to one of your songs now. That sounds great. All right.
was Address Unknown by The High Strung. And I want to get back into the interview. So um, as we were saying that you write a great wide variety of things, you're very eclectic in the terms to novels, novellas, short stories. Um, does your approach to storytelling change with the different formats? And do you have a preference for one over the others? 
For sure. The novel is home. It, ju it just is. But as I was saying earlier with Spin a Black Yarn, the novella, there's something wonderful about it in that if there's an idea on the list, because I have a list like you were saying you do, if there's an idea on the list where you're like, am I sure of something or, or, or is this is this enough? The novella typically, yeah, it is enough. And I can and it and, and and grateful for that where I didn't try to like bloat something, right? But the novel is just home because it's just the the absolute freedom of hey, go as long as little, just keep going, you know, as many tangents as you want. We can keep, you know, getting deeper and deeper into this. The hardest one for me, and this would if you include everything that I've ever been involved with, is the short story. Hmm. That's the one where for a long time, if I had a smaller idea, and I don't mean smaller in impact, I mean like literally just less happens, um, it would become a song. So a lot of high strung songs are story-esque, but small, short story-esque. And if it was a bigger idea, it became a novel. Okay, but by the, so by the time Bird Box came out, I had some 14 novels, hundreds of songs and no short stories, none, not one. I was asked to do like by Doug Morano and D. Alexander Ward, I was asked to contribute a short story to this anthology. And I was like, I, I don't have, I don't even have one. And so they were like, well, write one. And I was like, oh shit, you know? So <laughs> now there's 30 or 40 stories or whatever, but it still is the newer thing to me. I'm very at home in the song and the novel, but the short story still feels like, okay, all right. This is going to take some like delicacy. This is going to take some like strategy. This is going to take, you know, the novel that you can just throw up on for 300 pages and, and the spirits there rock and roll is like that too. But the short story, you kind of got to, got to pair, pair it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really have, I mean, it has sort of a three act structure, but it has to be so condensed and so impactful in such a short amount of time. I can see why that would be taking on a whole different beast when you're used to writing novels. So um, how do you balance your time between writing, music? Um, you do so many different things. Do you have to be very structured or do you just kind of do whatever captures your fancy on that given day? Yeah, I, it is mostly like you just said. I like that captures your fancy. And in fact, I like that as a title for something. Um, <laughs> but but when, when a book has begun, when it starts... It's every day till it's done. The rough draft, at least. It's every day till it's done. So I I could be like working on a new album with the boys and I'm, you know, but maybe I'm thinking about it now or whatever. The minute I sit down and I'm like, okay, we, we're starting, then it's like the book is takes precedence. It's like anything else. It could be going, you know, some, uh, I'm not going out as much or seeing people as much or or whatever it is. Um, the book takes precedence. I need to write. I need the writing session like every day. And I think that what that does is it gives me a little, I wouldn't say the best of both worlds, but there's the periods without writing every single day. But when the writing comes, then we're as professional and serious about it as like we can be in terms of um, structure. Again, whether, you know, Bird Box was written from like 8 a.m. till noon every day. Uh, Incidents around the house, who I think was like eight at night till midnight every day. Hmm. And so there isn't an overarching structure but for each individual book there is that's interesting so sort of the the project drives your inner clock huh yeah yep absolutely and the word count also so it's not always like 2500 words a day no uh uh ghoul in the cape was like a thousand a day bird box was insane 4300 a day um 
Another one was only 500 words a day. Uh, instance was about 23, 2,500 a day. So it, it's variety in that also. It's like what whatever this individual book is calling for, that's what we're going to do. Hmm. Sounds like that would keep you from getting burnt out because it's kind of a different uh, experience every time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and, then, and then you could even go further. You can say like recently with incidents, I my friend Ross Jeffrey was writing a uh, just starting a book as well. And we were like, what if we sent each other every 10,000 words of what we're working on? Just just to do it, you know. So then it became I was almost serializing this book for a friend and reading his in turn, like with his book that he was writing. And and like that's a different way to do it. I'd never done that before. So there are ways to shake up the process and you say avoid like burnout and to be really excited about it even beyond how long you work during the day, how many words you do. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, Tony Robbins right now or something, some like <laughs> some writing self-help dude or something. I'm just saying there really are, if you think about it, a how about a different freaking room, Josh? Go write this in a different room. Go write your next book in the kitchen. That'll change your whole experience from, from writing it in this room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to segue into... Um the popularity of horror, because I feel like with the advent of streaming, that it's really brought it more into the mainstream, um, you know, with the Mike Flanagan series, everybody's watching uh, Fall of the House of Usher, who maybe never even heard of Edgar Allan Poe before. Um, but I'm wondering, like, what do you hope to contribute as an author and a film producer to the world of horror in the creative arts Wow, Stacey, that's a great, that's a real question. That's isn't a it? deep question. Yeah. That is a, no, but that it's it's a great one. That's uh I think I would I would hope a few things. One again, that word elasticity. I would hope that readers are like this guy um stretched and and grows and isn't afraid to try things. And I would hope that those things would either inspire a reader or a writer to maybe try things. And even if they're not a writer to try things in their life or whatever it is they do, you know, everything doesn't have to be like, once you do something new, that's now part of what you do. And Bowie's like the ultimate example of that. Right. And Dylan too. Oh yeah. Once you do it now, it's now it's you didn't, you weren't doing it before, but now that you are, that's part of you. And the same can happen in, in a series of novels. So I would hope that, that comes through. Another thing I would hope is that, and this is like the, the horror author in me, is that I think that we all really cherish like the ability to actually scare someone. And if you can pull, if you can actually pull that off, if you can touch that, it's not an easy, some of your and my favorite horror novels ever don't actually scare someone necessarily. Correct, yeah. Some do. And if you can pull that off, if you can touch that, there's like, there's something about that that's like touching like this sort of subconscious greatness or something. Not, not, not in meaning that you're great, but to scare someone. And so th those are the, the first things that come to mind. But I, that, that question like that, I feel like I could spend the next seven days thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you have to get back to me if you come up with something else. We'll do a part two. I believe like the reason, one of the reasons I love horror so much is that it, it there, there's a, an arrested development to it, I think, that I cherish, which is I'm reading about like ghosts and vampires and, you know, and I'm still 
at this age, able to be scared for the duration of the book, for the duration of the movie. I'm scared. And there's something, not even sure, but childish about that. Like if I have, like, it's almost like a fountain of youth in a way, horror, where if you can maintain the ability to get scared, if you can maintain that into adulthood, there's like a wonder or a magic there. And if I can deliver that to someone, come on. I mean, that's like, that's like the dream or something. And it almost feels like when you are truly, truly scared that this word is maybe a little overused in this way, but the veil between like this world and potential others, right? It feels like it's thinned in the moment that you're scared where you're like, huh? Because in that moment, even if it's only one second, you believe that any of these things are possible. And is there anything more optimistic than believing that there's more? And so to me, that's more than entertain and more than thrill. It's to get someone to that spot where that veil is thinned, to get someone to that spot where where there's that, where they recognize that they do still have that childhood like wonder to them. I like that. Well, we're coming to the the wire here, Josh, and you know what my parting shot is. What is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? Oh, this, that's a great one. <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of a lot of actual stories from the road. I bet. <laughs> you know, I do have nightmares. I do have literal rock and roll nightmares of me and the boys just setting up, setting up, setting up. Oh, this plug's got to go here. This cord's got to go there. Like, come on, when, when the crowd's there, like we got in, but it's never, it's not happening. Like we're not finishing setting up. Like <laughs> no, Derek's still tuning his drums. I got to plug in another pedal. What do you mean? I don't even use this pedal. Like where's Mark? Where's Chad? My, I think, yeah, my nightmare, my ultimate rock and roll nightmare is like not getting to the show. Like, let's get to the show already. Let's roll. And the nightmare is like, you don't get there or something, you know? Yeah. I, I, I would, man, this conversation is making me want to write an album that's more not, you know, again, not Monster Mash and not even Alice Cooper, that, but just leans a little more in that direction. That sounds awesome. I like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would definitely listen to that album. Sounds sweet. <laughs> now, where can uh, fans find and follow you online? joshmallerman.com there's actually an entire novel that uh i released sort of serialized on the website it's just sitting there for free and has been for years now for like four or five years um and i mean it's a full it's longer than bird box it's a full novel um so that website is fun for that reason but then you know twitter facebook instagram allison keeps telling me to she says that i would like tiktok but for but, now, but that, yeah, Instagram, for now. Facebook, website. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. I really appreciate uh, your time and getting to know you a little better. Same to you. This has been absolutely wonderful. I I, I hope there is a part two. Let, let's do it again. That was All awesome. right. Yes, for sure. Actually, I'm so excited about your next book. After I read it, I want to have you back. Before I go, I just want to let you all know that there are two brand new Rock and Roll Nightmares books out. The first one, which is book eight in the series, is called Parallel Lines, and it's a speculative fiction multi-author collection that answers questions like, what if Led Zeppelin had never released Stairway to Heaven? What if the Manson family were not Beatles fans? 
What if Rob Halford had come out 10 years earlier? The other book is a fully illustrated edition of my short rock-related stories. It's a mix of fan favorites and has three brand new tales that are set in a haunted record store, on a cursed island, and on America's most bloody byways. That's it for now, but do stay tuned for Volume 10 in the Rock and Roll Nightmare series, a nonfiction book called Blood on the Tracks. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series, too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. Wish you